Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where you will receive your weekly dose of information about the hotel investment landscape from your regular contributors, me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And this week, we're going to start by talking about uh, what's going on in the alternative accommodation marketplace and this whole business of uh, are people now becoming more nomadic? And are they booking uh, longer and longer stays, adding a bit of uh, leisure to their their business trips? It would have seemed so. We've had some uh, comments uh, recently from Airbnb with their quarterly results who insist that uh, they're seeing a, a change in the length of bookings, um, people mixing a bit more business and leisure together. And uh, the Airbnb CEO, Brian Chesky, reckon that nearly half of their nights booked in the first quarter were for stays of a, of a week or longer and in fact 20% were for uh, a month or more. Um, this is something that's sort of a bit echoed by um, some comments recently from Eden, the uh, extended stay group, um, who are also seeing uh, longer stays. Um, uh, they reckon that uh, around 60% of their revenues are coming from stays of a week or more. Now, Brian Chesky at Airbnb is, of course, uh, been banging the drum about this uh, for, for quite some while. Uh, so uh, the, the stats fit entirely with his narrative, which is that uh, you know people are uh, off out around the world, being much more nomadic, staying, staying away for months at a time, and uh, generally um, uh, out of the pandemic, they've discovered that they, they don't want to be stuck around uh, hunkered down and uh, locked down they want to be out and about enjoying different bits of the world so uh andrew are you ready and set to be off on a little lengthy uh trip away and and live the nomadic life uh no in a, in, in a <laughs> short answer um anybody i think who's got ties is going to have that very you know family or work and things like that and even yes work the the nature of work has changed but uh i think as we've discussed in the past with regard to um you know the, the oversold death of the office um narrative uh it, people still are going to have to be in offices to continue culture. Um, so unless you're sort of in a position where you're happy for your career to plateau and you're not looking for advancement, um, well, you can work from home. But otherwise, if you want to you know, move up the greasy pole or you have wider responsibilities within the firm, then you are still going to be in that office for the majority of the week, I'd suggest. And that means you're not going to be that much of a nomad that's not to say there isn't a market for this stuff i just don't think it's going to be everybody um or even anywhere near most people it's going to be small but uh, growing niche of nomadic workers and you know as we've said so often before um this was a trend that was obvious before the pandemic and it's been accelerated by the pandemic and it's been you know uncovered and exposed to a degree by the pandemic and and you know and and accelerated um so to your point um Chris I think in 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 my comments um I write uh, um on your story in this week's issue of perspective um I do quote uh, um Eric Jafari at Eden in terms of looking at the the length of stay on average and how that's almost doubled there um in 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 terms of you know how, how what people are doing within their within the Eden and the locks and and so forth um 
And, uh, but the, I think the bigger picture here is what's going on with uh, Airbnb, which is the sort of poster child for this whole whole movement. It's the one with the high, the biggest consumer-facing brand. I mean, it's a brand which has sort of come from nowhere within a decade, has, has reached the same status as Hilton on most brand recognition surveys, which is quite remarkable. So, um, it, you know, it is it's one of the most recognisable brands in a, in accommodation now. Um, um, and it's quite exceptional that it's done that. Um, but what has happened um, is that I think, you know, and we've said it's likely to happen, is there's been a correction in the uh, share price of Airbnb. And it's almost halved from where it well, from mm. its peak. So its market cap was uh, 131 billion US dollars back in November 2021. It's now... Um, just around the sort of 66 billion uh, US dollar mark so it, it's it's come right back down to earth uh, well not maybe not quite earth it's in a sort of uh, significantly lower orbit anyway um, to where it was and uh, um, you know it's not that far removed now from Marriott which is sort of hovering around the 50 billion US dollar mark um, so it, it it's it has been a I, I, personally i think there's probably more correction to come but we'll wait and see but i mean if you look at their numbers they they were pretty good but you know if you you know but it's the first ever profitable q1 mm-hmm. um which is good but um you know the um adjusted ebitda at marriott for q1 was 759 million <laughs> um the adjusted um, ebitda and note that word adjusted um heavily adjusted in the case of um airbnb um was 229 million um so still a long way from the profitability of marriott and it's still got a higher um market cap than marriott so that's interesting and it's going to have to carry on delivering growth now what it did do in terms of growth was you know, I would suggest the the Q1 year on year isn't that meaningful. What you've got to look at is what Q1 in 22 looks like compared to Q1 in 2019. Um, that's a much more interesting um, comparison. And you look at that, and you see um, now these these are figures from analysts at Bernstein. Um, they said revenue was up 80 percent. Um, at Airbnb, um, Q1 2019 compared to Q1 2022, whereas it was down 5% at Booking, down 3% at Hilton, down 10% at Marriott, and down 10% at Expedia. So of all of those, of the OTAs and of the big hotel brands, it's clearly Airbnb which is showing the growth. The uh, caveat I'd put on that bull story however (laughs) is uh, i'm not sure how sustainable that level of growth is and i suspect that airbnb is is getting close to its uh, plateau it already dominates its core market of private rentals um and you know the expedias and bookings are catching up with it particularly uh expedias verbo um and in part you know they had that big uh um, sh- um, shebang launch um, which was called uh, what was it called the summer release 2022 mm-hmm. out on the 11th of May um, Airbnb did now uh, I mean to me that was as much about how do we differentiate our offering from uh, from these rivals um, because effectively what's happening is you know if you're looking for an uh, apartment you will be able to find it on Verbo or Booking or Airbnb the the content on all three of those platforms are, is looking more and more alike and so the differentiation is going to be 
um, through how you're searched and you know one thing that they did was in terms of the insurance piece so um, offer um, more reassurance to customers so that that is one area where they're they're seeking I think to to bring some differentiation in I'm not sure that's going to be enough however to deliver the the level of growth they need to maintain their uh, um, premium and their their rating in terms of their share price um, you know what they have got still is um, an ability to draw people in without paying the Google tax. Mm. That's the amount that Google gets for delivering punters to a particular website. Well, for most of the rivals of Airbnb, um, half and more of their uh, uh, people coming to their websites come via Google and they have to pay that Google tax. Now, Airbnb claims that 90% of its traffic is direct or unpaid, um, which is a very impressive number. And that's a key one to watch in terms of as it grows, um, whether they can maintain, you know, they don't have to invest the huge amounts that um, Booking and Expedia have to invest with Google um, in that in that performance advertising piece. So that's going to be critical. Um, to see um, I think overall though from a hotelier perspective um, the direction of travel for Airbnb is is pretty encouraging they seem to be not necessarily giving up on but certainly sort of not pushing that hard at um, the hotel piece and they seem much more interested in doing something with this longer stay thing um, and this um, and, th and that that is going to take Airbnb further away from hotels, which I think is probably good news from the point of view of um, not going to be such a uh, a threat in terms of an alternative supply. Um, it will still be there in the the peaks. Um, the compression nights when you've you know particularly say if you're a uh, you know at a resort area or if you're at a uh, um, conference hotel where there's a big event happening um, the Airbnb will be a significant threat there still and will take some of the um, extra profitability you would normally have made in in that period um, but overall I think it's still it's looking looking better from a hotelier perspective so it's it's generally a a pretty good news story i'd suggest take a look at uh, another market of buildings with beds uh, not hotels but uh, the residential market in the uk and uh, institutional investment into that sector looks to be set for a record year this year uh, investors are are liking what they see and picking off a variety of uh, opportunities in the kind of residential real estate space. Um, this could be anything from co-living to student accommodation, uh, build to rent and, and family rental, which is certainly picking up in pace in the UK, and uh, even um, some of that uh, senior living, which is uh, a very immature market in the UK, but it looks to be attracting uh, more and more investors. Um, amongst those looking to grow their their kind of rental family rental uh, portfolios, we've got quite a few players. We've got uh, pension funds, even Lloyd's Bank, and uh, a, a department store group, John Lewis, who uh, are looking to uh, buy into new homes as well as redevelop perhaps some of the uh, existing department stores they no longer want to retail from. Um, so 
uh, a flurry of activity lots of people wanting to put money into this sector because they see it delivering decent returns so one of the challenges is actually buying a decent stock uh, if you want to buy in and start receiving a, a yield straight away it's actually quite difficult to get in at scale uh, and you know if you're, if you're going to build it yourself then that's going to take some time to deliver a, a product that's rentable uh, but um, all other things being uncertain it seems that the the British obsession with bricks and mortar is no longer just for the consumer and the the, the private individual but uh, the institutions are loving it too yeah and I think this threads very neatly in what we were just talking about in terms of Airbnb and is part of this blending between asset classes now I'm not suggesting that the bulk of build to rent and the bulk of um, residential investment that's going in there it is directly comparable to um, short stay accommodation it certainly isn't but there is at the edges of residential um, that build to rent piece um, and at the edges of where sort of hospitality and the most innovative hospitality uh, products are going and brands and concepts are going um, there's a huge overlap there um, and I think if you listen to what the resi developers are talking about what the student accommodation developers talk about um, it's very much about this sense of place sense of community all of this kind of stuff and increasingly aspects of sort of service living are being provided in there so most obviously within stuff like um, uh, co-living um, but also you know e e even within you know senior living too has that uh, student accommodation has that um, uh, um, and 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 increasingly with with the the other bits of build to rent as well when they they talk about building um placemaking really they they talk about so they're talking about uh, creating a, an experience um for people who are who are living there um it's about curating these experiences with all the different aspects of of, of what needs to be there to to, to, to have a community and there's a massive overlap with that approach with the resi developers and um, what the, the uh, short-term accommodation space has been doing for for decades um, and we've written about it in in hotel analysts in the past about how we're seeing more and more execs from hospitality moving across to these other buildings with bed sectors and we're certainly seeing this but I just want to add into this uh, I was at uh, Eden's presentation in Berlin earlier in May it was a sort of off-site it wasn't done during the event itself um, but they, they really are one of the, the foremost brands in this this sort of interface between uh, resi and um, short-term accommodation in and 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 as they evolve their offer it's very interesting to listen to their ceo stephen mccall talk about this talks about um the layers of experience that they've had to put on um how they've been developing the brand the talking about uh, Locke um, being this sort of next iteration of, you know, to quote him, the, the community lifestyle experience. And I get that. And he's, he's looking to sort of curate stuff to build something which is more than, say, service departments, which he argues is soulless and uh, um, lonely places, potentially, and, and have interaction and make that 
very short stay sort of one or two nights piece work alongside the one week or even one month people staying there which is quite a challenge actually it's quite a difficult thing to deliver um it's difficult from an operational perspective in terms of how you're watching your cost base and it's difficult to to deliver from the point of how you get those two uh, different groups to to uh, well sort of separate ish groups to blend together um so it, it, it's a tough one, but they, they certainly seem to have cracked it. Um, they gave um, Eric Jafari, the development uh, chief development officer and creative director at Eden, um, gave some numbers in terms of saying uh, yield on cost is in development terms, yield on cost for a typical hotel, 6%, service department, 7%, and they're claiming the lock is delivering 8%. Um, and so they also had... Uh, uh, their owner Brookfield there and uh, Laura, Lauren Acada Young SVP at Brookfield um, I mean she spoke not surprisingly uh, very warmly about um, her investment um, and the hope that this was going to increase liquidity that the success and recognition of of uh, the, the type of serviced accommodation being offered by Eden is going to get better liquidity and she's also obviously hoping for a bit of yield compression too and gets a, a, a great price when, when Eden is sold which is probably going to be in the next year or two. So I, I, I think it's Eden is a great case study in in the potential and opportunity that's there in the, you're sitting on these sort of blurred lines. At, uh the the post-pandemic landscape in uh, the uk hospitality industry uh, we've had sort of uh, the, what looks like the end of the pandemic we've had the end of the rent moratorium uh, everyone was expecting that 2022 was the year they were going to get back to normal but then of course we've had uh, continuing issues with supply chain shortages staff shortages and massive spikes in inflation uh, not helped by uh, the war in Ukraine. So uh, having pivoted around left, right and centre to get through the pandemic, it seems that the uh, the businesses in, in hospitality are once again having to uh, pivot left, right and centre to uh, cope with all these unexpected uh, new inputs into their business. Um, but it, it does appear it's not all, all doom and gloom. Although the popular media might have us think that, um, there actually has been quite strong performance in uh, in hotels, uh, and the the those who kind of watch out on on the restructuring side say, well, yes, while there have been business failures, there's actually been a, a quite a good degree of churn in that there's been plenty of newcomers coming into the market, taking on new opportunities, um, and and signing up for the space that's been vacated by failing businesses and actually there's plenty going on in the market and uh, while you know this is wor worry about consumers uh, consumer confidence evaporating it's not actually evaporating the growth is slowing that's for sure but actually um, either side of the Atlantic surveys suggest that uh, there's still plenty of uh, uh, juice in the tank in terms of consumers carrying on spending uh, and uh, uh, it's not actually all that bad. Yes, yeah, it's a very nuanced argument, and there is a real risk of be, being seen as um, spouting a, a phrase like crisis, mm. what crisis? Um, there is an issue here. There is no question that this is a, a challenging situation. Um, GFK, a consumer sentiment um, a, a polling outfit that um, has one of the... Uh, best known and most widely followed consumer sentiment surveys um, 
um, it's been going since 1974, um, it reached its lowest ever level um, um, just in the last week or so. Now, it's quite incredible um, that it's so negative. I mean, it's worse than when it was in in the global financial crisis, um, worse than you know post 9/11 or any of that stuff. So it, it, it's uh, it, there's no question, consumers. This is a UK poll um, that, that you know that UK consumers are feeling um, pretty at low ebb. But as you say, Chris is certainly um, good reason for that, given how the press are covering this piece. In addition to that, we do have inflation, and you know the the, the folk memory of inflation has all but <laughs> faded, really. I think, um, um, and we're going back again to the seventies to see, you know, before we see inflation anything like that, which we're currently seeing. Um, Bank of England saying it's going to get to around 10 percent um most forecasters are certainly saying it's going to be over nine percent by the end of uh, this current quarter so by the end of june so and if you look at what happened they've just um this month we had um the latest inflation numbers um, out from the Office for, for National Statistics, and they said uh, consumer prices were up 7.8% uh, year on year. Um, and if you actually uh, exclude housing costs, it's up 9%. So we're almost at that point, you know, people were saying um, already in the official numbers, and this is just to April. So we could well, if we do the cpi excluding housing costs we could well get into double digits um within a month or two so there's no question that this is certainly a huge shock from that point of view however 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 um this is held to be and i think there are very good reasons for it to be held to be a short-term phenomena um so the bank of england says inflation is going to be back to two percent in two years um they say explicitly the causes of the current high rate of inflation are not likely to last um morgan stanley is saying that by the, the fourth quarter of 2023 uk cpi will be 1.9 percent um you look at other forecasters trading economics 3.4 percent in 2023 and 1.5 percent in 2024 so clearly looking out beyond the next uh, six to twelve months uh, inflation is expected to uh, drop back down to um, normal levels and in certainly in terms of where we you want you want a little bit of inflation and two percent is the target that the Bank of England has set so that that is coming back down and you know as you to your point Chris in terms of consumers um, what what they're doing um, it, it, it's uh, actually they're carrying on spending so um, retail sales data again from the office for national statistics uh, up 1.4 percent in april a uh, 4.1 percent above where it was in pre-covid uh february 2020 um if you look in value terms so that was volume terms if you look in value terms it's 13.2 percent up on february 2020 april 2022 um so it, it's uh, so it's it, it's clearly the consumers are not 
doing what they are thinking um, at the moment. I mean, this can change, of course, um, but there are reasons to be cheerful about that. And certainly, as you say, Chris, and in your piece, you go into in more depth. You know, the 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 numbers out of travel. Uh, tourism and hospitality are looking very good very strong and SDR um, who report these numbers are you know getting more and more bullish about it so I came to the the industrialist Andrew Carnegie said more than a hundred years ago as I grow older I pay less attention to what men say I just what they do I just watch what they do and I think this is a, a useful rejoinder to all this panic about the cost of living and with that in mind it's time for our five star and no star awards and Andrew you're awarding five stars this week for absolutely so um, it just came into our inbox in the last 24 hours um, ahead of recording this podcast but they were the Q1 numbers from uh, Travel Lodge now Q1 was good but much better was what they said about recent trading which was the seven weeks to the 18th of may and they said these seven weeks uh, revenue was up 22 percent on 2019 so that's uh, an incredibly bullish number if that's repeated through the rest of this year i mean that's way way above inflation that's going to enable meaningful profit to come through with those that higher level those higher level uh, levels of revenue um, um, so it, it, it's you know it, it very much speaks to the point we're saying look um, look at the actual real numbers rather than sentiment um, it c- can change it could change but so far so and good. you're awarding no stars this week I think to uh, the, someone in the Middle East uh, yeah so this is Kingdom Holding which uh, f- uh, flogged off a bit of its stake to the Saudi um state investment uh, firm um, PIF and they sold a 17% stake for one and a half billion now I, I thought well I better get to the bottom of this just check go to original sources and all the rest of it and I uh, now I went to Kingdom's um, investor relations site and they they took a good game you know their commitment to transparency etc they have on their opening page of the website but the the most recent numbers I could find backed was back in 2013 so it's uh, shall we say less than transparent on that one um, um, and, but of course we, there's all sorts of different things going on there so uh, back in 2017 of course the chairman of uh, uh, kingdom holding um, prince al-walid was shall we say a guest of the the ritz in uh, ritz carlton in uh, in riyadh um, not entirely of his own free will it's suggested and it's also suggested that he's had to hand over about six billion us dollars um to get out of that uh, si- tricky situation so um there's all sorts of things um playing out here in saudi which is behind the scenes and uh, um they they're trying to push at the moment for this uh, you know inward investment piece which I think is a little bit fanciful um, a given the amount of capital they have within the country to invest and b the the clear lack of transparency despite what they claim um, that is currently available in terms of many of their leading um, business operations secretive note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>